Welcome, Nationals fans, to the Dogcast, where we wonder if Joe Simpson is a real broadcaster. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and somehow Greg Gibson managed to ring me up looking at Strike 3 on Wednesday. Later on, we've got Alex Pat from Climb the Ivy and Cubby's Crib to help us preview the upcoming series with the Chicago Cubs. But first, we're going to look back on that Brave series and a somewhat disappointing series split where... Uh, especially after taking game one behind Jeffrey Rodriguez against Max Fried, or obviously they're not Max Fried out and had the play against the Braves bullpen. But when you get off to that start, you have Max Scherzer going in the nightcap. You kind of get your hopes up for a series win. So it was disappointing in that regard, but it's not the end of the world. I don't think they, they could have done a lot worse. They could have lost the series, got swept and, put themselves in a really disadvantageous position, especially in the wild card that the Braves lead right now. So they kind of hold Pat. The Nats do have a nice, well, Cubs and Cardinals isn't going to be easy, but having all those division games, there is another chance to make it up. So again, it's it's a bad result, but it's not the end of the world. In terms of player of the series, I think I'm going to go with Ryan Zimmerman. He went 7 for 12 with a home run, 4 RBI, two walks and especially in that double header on Tuesday he looked fantastic and although when he came back it looked like a straight up platoon and they were just going to get Ryan Zimmerman in uh, in favourable matchup so Matt Adams was kind of the de facto starter and then getting Zimmerman in against left-handers and right-handers with uh, even platoon splits but now it looks like Zimmerman should probably be getting most of the starts with Adams a little bit cold out of the break. Uh, and Zimmerman out of the break hitting 371, two home runs, nine RBI, and OPS near 1.2, four walks and five strikeouts. And he's scolding the ball. He's basically picked up where he left off from last season, which is fantastic news for the Nationals. Uh, and yeah, I, I think everyone's happy to see it. Albeit we saw in... 2016, the kind of decline that people thought he was going on. He changed some of that launch angle stuff, had that breakout year in 2017, and then the weird spring training stuff this year. It looked like those first few games of the year, he was still getting to grips with uh, getting to grips with playing again, and now uh, we're reaping the benefits of it. So long may it continue. Anthony Rendon in the series went 6 for 16, which isn't too bad. But I think the most concerning thing is since the All-Star break, he's only had one walk and 11 strikeouts, which for someone who's hitting third at the moment, you can't be striking out because people in front of you are going to get on base. Um, And for someone who's got such well-renowned plate discipline as well, to have that drastic uh, discrepancy between the two is... Interesting to say the least. Ooh. I have no doubt that Rendon will easily bounce back from that and start to get that ratio back where we know it will be. But something to keep an eye on. He hasn't been fantastic out of the break. Well, I think he's still hitting about 280 odd. So <laughs> it's it's not like he's a, a mug in the box. But yeah, it's uh, it's something interesting. Maybe with a, a couple lefties in this Cubs series coming up. Might be a nice time for him to get going again. 
And now we uh, we have to kind of come on to that whole one Soto Greg Gibson incident. So after one Soto struck out in the fourth inning, it was a close slider uh, for strike three that Greg Gibson called. Um, I think the I was watching on ESPN and the pitch FX kind of had it maybe nicking the plate slightly. Uh, but then when one Soto came up to bat in the next inning, he uh, according to Jamal Collier of MLB.com, he told Gibson. Uh, it, it was the, the last pitch he struck out on was a ball uh, because he wanted to make sure he can understand and be better, which uh, that's very one Soto quote. He's got that, still got a little bit of swagger about him. But I think the thing that I didn't like is the umpire taking his mask off and saying, what did you say? That kind of strikes to me as someone who's actually looking to get someone ejected. He wasn't just allowing it to happen if Soto kept saying it, for example, then well, kept saying it unprovoked, then he would have uh, been more deserving to get tossed. But um, Soto was talking to himself and telling the umpire that, that I think that was a ball, and the umpire was just looking for it because the Nats dugout was chirping the whole game. Uh, it was just really bizarre, and it wasn't helped by some of the iffy calls. So you'll remember Bryce Harper struck out on a high fastball that was way, way out of the zone. That was nowhere near, and there was another one. Uh, I can't remember who it was to now, but he, he had been like that all night, kind of favouring the Braves. Obviously, he's not intentionally favouring the Braves, but that's what the strike zone was coming to that night. So I don't have a problem with the strike zone. They're, they are human, funnily enough, despite what people say. Um and yeah, it's it's a tricky one. For well, for the strike zones, we've seen some interesting ones this season. But again, I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with him seemingly want, wanting to egg on Soto to get ejected and saying, "What did you say? Come on, um, say it again, so I can toss you." And kind of going underrated throughout this series is Geo looking very very solid in Thursday's game. You went seven innings, six hits, one run. One walk, three strikeouts, which is a little low. Uh, his first winning decision since May 28th, which is quite long. And he, he's had a couple nice outings, um, notably against the Marlins when he also went seven innings, gave up one run and just didn't get the run support that day. So he's going to be a key to this. You know what you're getting from Max. Uh, you probably know what you're getting from Helixson, obviously, uh, not quite the max's standard, but with Helixson, you know you're going to get five and a little bit, uh, two runs. So you can see where that's coming from. Tanner Roark is vastly improved right now. Uh, two runs in his last three starts is fantastic, and he looks like the Tanner Roark of old. And then you've just kind of got to piece the rest together. Get Strasburg in there when he's healthy. Um, Tommy Malone doesn't look like a major league option, really. Um People had high hopes coming into the start. I was still a bit dubious because he'd only faced the Marlins and Mets. Um, even the Marlins, he struggled in that first inning and beyond allowing a lot of contact. And it kind of came to the fore in this one, allowing three home runs. So uh, you, need, you need Strasbourg back. And then Gio should be slotting in there as the number three starter. Maybe Tanner Art goes in as number three because he's pitching quite well, but... If you can get Gio Gonzalez as your four, five type star, then you're doing well. And we'll see if we can get more performances like this. The Cardinals 
Um, it's going to be a stiff test. They've got some nice hitting pieces there. You've got Matt Carpenter, who's on another world, seemingly. Um, Jose Martinez having a fantastic season. So it's not going to be an easy lineup to navigate through, but he did look a lot better. Like I said, one walk is huge for Gio, who's been giving up a lot of walks lately. So hopefully we can see continued improvement there from Gio. So joining me now to look ahead to the National Series with the Chicago Cubs it, from Climbing the Ivy and Cubby's crew contributor, Alex Pat. How are you doing, Alex? I am doing great. How are you? I've had better days. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're recording just after the, the Wednesday set of games, so I don't really need to say more to Nats fans. Uh, like I said, he's here. Uh, Alex is here to help us preview the Cubs series. So entering the series, the Cubs are 66 and 48. They've still got the best batting average and most runs scored in the National League. Um, again, how have the Cubs kept this up? It's been a theme for the last few years. Yeah, you know, they're having a really kind of strange season right now. It's been very inconsistent, but when they've been on this year, they've been scoring runs left and right. And this year, they're not relying as much on the home run ball, but they're relying a lot on base hits and uh, really kind of poking the ball the other way. That's when things are working. But, you know, when things aren't working, they're hitting a lot of weak grounders, hitting a lot of pop-ups. And right now, there are a number of guys in a slump. But if you consider where the Cubs' offense was in late June, early July, I mean, that was just a juggernaut. That span alone really helped their offensive stats, so to speak. And, I mean, overall, this is a very good team on paper, even though it hasn't really been as consistent this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um Again, it, it's the offense carrying it. The starting pitching has been a bit of a struggle. The likes of Leicester, Quintana, not quite pitching to where they should be. They're kind of lurking in the mid-threes in the ERA, I think. Well, this is the biggest story of the season because if you look as a whole, the defense is there, the bullpen is there, the offense, despite the inconsistencies, at the end of the day is still there. The starting pitching, if you look at the charts, they are way below where they were projected to be. This was projected to be one of the best starting rotations in the National League. Lester got off to a great start. He's really struggled in July. Quintana has had a lot of good starts, but some really ugly ones. Tonight was one of them. Hendricks is probably the most disappointing as a whole because he really hasn't found his niche yet. You know Hendricks is a guy that relies a lot on location and changing speeds and whatnot and the command just has not been there and then I, I guess you could say really the most disappointing is you Darvish but he's been hurt and we're waiting for him to come back and Tyler Chatwood's been unfortunately a big disaster so we're hoping that the pickup of Cole Hamels can continue to really help shape things a little better because in his first two starts Cole Hamels has been really efficient yeah I'm sure we'll talk about Cole Hamels in a bit and he was uh he was a potential target in that. I, I was quite a strong advocate for them not to get him. I think he's past his best years, but uh, we'll see. Uh, so in their last series against Kansas City Royals on Monday, the Cubs pulled out a 3-1 win. The aforementioned Cole Hamels in his second start as a Cub went six strong innings. They also got more good pitching from Mike Montgomery in a 5-0 shutout on Tuesday. And then obviously the Cubs got torched 9-0 on Wednesday night. Heath Fillmeyer, my note says, was uh, pretty good for the Royals. So Very good. He well, just had him off balance the whole time. Yeah, Heath Fillmeyer. That's, uh, I, I like the 
uh, talk up my knowledge of the game, but even that name's got me a bit stumped. So what was the theme behind the series? Obviously, three great pitching performances from the eventual winning pitchers. Yeah, you know, it was one of those series where you kind of wanted the Cubs to just dominate because, let's face it, the Royals are not good at all. I think they were tied with the Orioles with worst record in the league going in. But yeah, I mean, you had two really good starts from the Cubs pitchers in the first two games, and then the Royals did it the other way in the last game. So there really was not a lot of offense in terms of uh, just blowing it open in the first two games. I mean, it was a 5 nothing win for the Cubs in the second game, but with the way the Cubs are, you kind of expected there to be a little more, but a 5 nothing win is still good. Then it was the last game where things just fell way out of control for the Cubs, and Royals just ran away with that one. So, you know, first two games were fairly close for what they were. And then the last one, just just an awful, awful loss for the Cubs. Yeah, it feels like one of those series where going into it, it's always good to take two out of three on the road. But kind of the manner that the last game ended kind of leaves a bit of taste in the mouth. Yeah, you know, especially because they're the Kansas City Royals and you expect to beat them up. I mean, really, most of us were expecting a sweep, but I mean, two out of three is better than losing this series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So which players should we be watching out for on the Cubs this series? Well, um, I would say David Bodie, who's been a huge, huge surprise coming up from the minor leagues. And then I think, obviously, Javier Baez is right now in the running in the MVP race. Uh, The numbers are really good offensively, defensively, and on the bases. And then I'd say, you know, it's going to sound surprising, but watch how Cole Hamels does. I'm sure we'll talk pitching matchups later, but watch how he continues to do. Will he continue his good pitching? Will he kind of fall apart? It's going to be a big test to kind of see him pitch at Wrigley Field as a Cub for the first time, because the first two were on the road. I'm really impressed that you managed to pick out the three exact players that I've got noted down. Well, look at that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think... Uh... We'll, we'll start with the under-the-radar one with David Bote. Uh, filling in for Chris Bryant, obviously. Bryant's had a really injury-troubled season, but David yep. Bote hitting 343, I think. Maybe not up to date after the night. Um, but he's been doing a bit of everything. He wasn't even on the prospect radar coming into this year. No, he wasn't. I mean, he really got on people's radar in spring training because he had a really good spring training. And myself and people were saying... Now, who's this David Bodie guy? So for Cubby's Crib, I actually wrote kind of a little article on him. And I'm like, okay, he's 24, 25, a versatile infielder. Maybe he'll come up in September just to kind of play a little bit. But the fact that he came up and has made this big of an impact while our MVP is out, I mean, it's really impressive, not only with the bat, but if you watch this guy play in the field, guy's got a great arm. He fields his position very well, and he's made some fantastic plays. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I haven't watched him all that much, but it feels like he may not have the natural ability of some of the other players in the league, but he makes up for that in being a, to overuse the cliche, being a proper baseball player. Yeah, you know, he just kind of plays good fundamental baseball, and when you do that, you're going to get some results, even if you're not loaded with like crazy talent like Javier Baez is ridiculously athletic and you know ridiculously talented there and you know Chris Bryant the same thing while David Bodie he just he just plays it well yeah you need those kind of players on your team and absolutely uh, 
to touch on Javier Baez, like you said, he's he's probably the MVP candidate that no one's talking about. You've got the likes of Scherzer, Matt Carpenter, based on his uh, mid-May onwards, Nolan Arenado, but no one seems to be mentioning Baez. And he's seventh in the National League in war, third hitter behind Carpenter and Arenado. And then you look at his batting line, 298, 25 home runs, 88 RBIs, 19 steals, OPS over 900. I think the only thing he doesn't do is walk. Right. And that right there will kind of tell you what a lot of people are thinking. They'll look at buys and say, you know, look at him hit the ball out of the ballpark. Look at him steal bases. Look at him feel. That's all great. But where's the on-base percentage? And look, I love on-base percentage. I'm a big OBP guy. And a lot of people are these days. But when you're as productive as he is on multiple ends of the ball, you got to at least have him in the conversation. Will he win it? Probably not. You'll look at guys like Carpenter and Arenado more, but he's got to at least be in the conversation because his impact on the field alone has made a huge difference in this Cubs team. A lot of guys are underperforming on the Cubs. There's a lot of injuries. And Javier Baez has been the source of a lot of their wins. And it's one of the reasons they're still barely clinging to first place right now. I think that's why I like to look at OPS as a good kind of stat. You get the nice balance of on-base, but you also get the balance of the damage he's doing, obviously. Exactly. The, the 25 home runs, the extra base hits, you get a good sense of his bat there. He's not going to be your typical kind of number one, two, three hitter, but he's going to be there hitting four, five, six to drive in all those runs. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I completely agree with you there. Mm. Uh, and then finally, Cole Hamels, like we said, we're running through my notes now because he touched on all the names. Uh, obviously, he had the 641 ERA in Texas, so at home uh, in Small Park, Globe Life Arena, I think it's called. But then 258 ERA everywhere else. So what have you seen from Hamels since he's uh, come to the Cubs? Obviously, two road starts, but. Well, his first start was very fun to watch because the stuff was there. And when I mean stuff, I'm talking about the fastball and the velocity. You saw earlier this year in Texas, he was losing the zip on the fastball. The velocity started to climb up in his last few starts. In Pittsburgh as a Cub, he topped out at 96 and was consistently throwing 94. And he was locating it very well. Then you complement it with that changeup. It just, everything worked. And even though he only won five, when you strike out nine guys and you get a lot of whiffs on a changeup and you're locating a 94-mile-an-hour fastball for a guy who had been kind of losing touch on velocity, that was wonderful to see and very promising too. Do you think part of it is some of the management saying that you're only going to go five, six innings, we're not going to try and stretch you out to seven or eight? It, It could be. It could be. I think that maybe there's one of those weird factors of, Cole Hamels, he watched the Cubs as a kid. He's kind of excited to be on a contending team again. I think he's kind of ready to reinvent himself. You know, I've always said that a new environment can go a long way for a lot of players. So maybe it's a little bit of the coaching. Maybe it's a little bit of the environment. Maybe it's a little bit of just kind of his mental state. It could probably be a combination of all that. And look, he's going to a team where Joe Mann is saying, look, you have three other pitchers, four other pitchers in front of you. We just kind of need you to be solid, and that's kind of what our expectations are. We're not looking for 2008 Cole Hamels. We're looking for a guy to kind of get us through and give us some decent outings. If he consistently gives us two runs, six innings, we'll gladly take that. Yeah, I don't think they gave up much for him. I, I, I was thinking Nothing at the time really. whether, yeah, 
I was thinking at the time whether the Cubs had not seen him pitch since his no hitter at Wrigley, basically. Yeah, I mean that was the la- that was probably the last really notable start that Hamels has made in his career. Mm. Uh see one name that I have just thought of. Uh Brandon Kinsley, obviously traded from the Nets to the Cubs for John Romero, just a high A pitcher. Speaking of uh not get not trading a lot for a nice piece. Uh what have you made of Kinsler? Obviously, Nats fans loved him, but there was some uh, some of the rumors lurking that he may have been behind some of the the leaks that occurred in the Nats clubhouse. Yeah, that was an interesting story when I read about that. But as a Cub, he's delivering what exactly I expected: a lot of ground ball outs. And you know what? If he does what he's supposed to do, which he has so far, I'll gladly take it because you can never have enough bullpen depth. And the nice thing about Kinsler is. He's got closing experience, as you know, and Brandon Morrow's been hurt. And you want as many guys as you can that have closing experience on this team. We need Brandon Morrow back, there's no doubt. But at least with more depth like Kinsler, it could help get you by. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Nats fans have seen the whole time. He was perfectly fine in the seventh inning, probably overqualified to be pitching in the seventh inning. And like you say, with the Cubs, with Brandon Morrow out, you don't really want to... 100% 100% rely on Pedro Strope. He may go into one of his prolonged slumps again. Yeah, you know, it, Pedro Strope so far as a closer has done really well, but he does not have the experience of closing games down the stretch in a playoff race. He has been a phenomenal setup guy, but you know what? Eighth inning, ninth innings, you know, in a long period of time, they're different. You know, it's it's easier said than done to just say, hey, you're going from the eighth to the ninth. It's not always an easy thing to do. Yeah, agreed. Uh, which Nationals players are you looking forward to seeing this series? Kind of give us one big name and one perhaps under the radar name for this. Well, um, I'd say Max Scherzer is the one I'm looking forward to the most. Uh, obviously, when he pitched against the Cubs last year in the postseason, his start, he was phenomenal. He was really, really phenomenal. And I mean, you got to expect phenomenal from Max Scherzer. He's who I'd say right now the best pitcher in baseball in terms of just being efficient and striking out a ton of guys, he's filthy. So he's, you know, the one matching up against Cole Hamels. And it'll just, it's kind of interesting to see like an old Nationals nemesis go up against their best. So I'm really looking forward to that matchup. And in terms of under the radar, that's a good question. You know, obviously Bryce Harper's not under the radar at all. That's going to be a, a big topic of conversation there. But Oh, man, if I had to pick one, I guess Tanner Roark. And it sounds kind of silly, but I'll just never forget in last year's playoffs. After the rain out in game four or before game four was going to start, we were all expecting Tanner Roark to pitch because that's what Dusty said. And then Steven Strasburg ended up pitching that game four. So it's kind of for that weird reason. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing Tanner Roark pitch at Wrigley Field. It sounds weird, but that's just kind of how it is. I think he's from Illinois as well. But yeah, it'll certainly be interesting, especially with uh, Rart pitching really well of late. So yeah, definitely be interesting to see. Uh, obviously, you've touched on the two big names, Scherzer. Uh, I'm quite happy that I'm going to see him on Sunday at Wrigley Field. Um, but yeah, Bryce Harper, do you reckon the fans will uh, try and butter him up with some cheers rather than the usual booze that he's been used to this year? 
Oh yeah, they'll uh, butter them up with, uh, hey, we got uh, deep dish pizza here. If you like that, if you like Chicago style hot dogs, if you don't like ketchup on your hot dogs, and we'll cheer you a little more. Little bit of subtle bribery. So, I mean, there, there'll be some kind of Chris Bryant thing. Maybe Chris Bryant will hide in the Nets dugout and try and bro him up. Yeah, I mean, you know, with Chris Bryant not playing right now, he's got plenty of time to do other things. <laughs> Uh, for me, I'm definitely looking at Ryan Zimmerman this series. He's hitting 371, two home runs, nine RBI, OPS almost at uh, 1.2. So, again, two lefties, John Lester, Cole Hamels going Saturday and Sunday. Zimmerman should be in the lineup for those two games, obviously. He'll probably have Matt Adams on Friday. And then Adam Eaton's been slumping a little bit out of the All-Star break, but still uh, still being the typical leadoff man. Uh yeah, Adam Eaton has done some damage against the Cubs when he was a White Sox in some of those uh, crosstown games. So it'll be interesting to see him as well. Yeah, I think he's been uh, he's been in a bit of a platoon with Michael Taylor, which some Nat fa- Nats fans aren't a fan of. Me personally, I I want to see him out out of the lineup probably once a week at most. Um, so yeah, with uh, again two lefties, will he be starting? So, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I think it, when you play the, the whole opinion on playing the matchups, I think you make a valid point there. Uh, I, I think matchups are just a, a big thing in baseball nowadays. Hmm. So looking ahead to each of the pitching matchups in this series to start off on Friday at 2.20 p.m., that's going to be uh, the good old Wrigley Field special. Jeremy Hellickson against Kyle Hendricks. Jeremy Hellickson, 5-2 with a 3.56 ERA. Kyle Hendricks with a 8... Eight and nine record, four oh seven ERA. Uh, Kyle Hendricks has actually done quite well against the Nationals in his career. Two and two with a two six seven ERA and five career starts, but that uh, that K per nine percentage kind of at its usual six point two level. So you mentioned earlier that he's been struggling a lot this year. Is it mainly been that walk rate that's going upwards? Yeah, it's all about the command with him because as many baseball fans who have watched Kyle Hendricks know. He doesn't throw hard. His fastball is 86, 87, and he's all about location. He's all about off speed. If you don't locate it in the right spot, it could be hit a country mile. So he's either missing over the plate missing, if you know what I mean, or missing way outside and the walk rate's going up. What made Kyle Hendricks so effective when he was changing speeds, he was dotting the corner just beautifully, like Greg Maddox-like. Obviously, no one will ever be quite as good as him, but you saw in 2015, 2016, 2017, the way he would just gracefully dot those corners. You know, this year, you're not seeing that as much. Now, I will say lately, his command has been a lot better. His past few starts have looked a lot better, but until he finds the right consistency, we just don't know what kind of stuff he's going to bring on a daily basis when he's pitching. Yeah, for me, when I've seen him, he feels like, the, the Doug Fister pitch for the Tigers and then his first year with the Nats where the velocity kind of, for Fister it's at 90, obviously, Hendricks a couple of ticks lower, but it was all about command. And again, they feel like a kind of pitcher where potentially a bit like a knuckleballer in a way. If they're on, they're on. If they're off, they're very off. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's one of those things where you see pitchers who throw, like Max Scherzer, he throws hard. He can get away with some mistakes because his stuff is so good. It's not easy to catch up to 98 miles an hour and you can get away with that. But 
if it's an 86 mile an hour fastball and you miss it over the plate, the best chances are it's getting hit really hard. Mm. And then opposing Hendricks, we've got Jeremy Hellickson, who obviously started the season fantastically, and they've uh, I've tried to be dubbing it the Hellickson treatment of getting pulled somewhere going into that third time through the lineup. But last seven starts, he's only three and two with a five one four ERA, six home runs, and potentially that could be where the Cubs offense uh, comes to life against Hellickson. You mentioned that they're not as reliant on the home run ball this year, but we'll see which way the wind's blowing at Wrigley. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a huge factor in these games, especially at this time of year. If we're talking hot and steamy, look out in the bleachers and across the street because you may be getting some souvenirs. (laughs) Uh, So which way do you see this matchup going? Well, I could see it being a pretty good matchup because if Hendricks is on his game and Hellickson is on his game, Let's say the wind's blowing out and they each give up a few home runs but are overall pretty efficient. I think you could see a pretty even game here. Could I see the Cubs getting the Hellickson? Absolutely, especially if the wind's blowing out. Hendricks, I could see go either way. He could either be really efficient or, you know, Bryce Harper may ding the video board a few times. So, you know, it's one of those things where I could see it being even or lopsided. It's it's kind of a coin flip. And again, at this time of the year, We'll see how that wind is blowing. Yeah, I think in this one, I'll probably, like you say, it, it's a difficult one to predict. And I guess I'll go with the Hendricks success against the Nationals and probably lean towards the Cubs. Maybe Hellickson's struggles continue. Um, and again, the Cubs wouldn't be uh, opposed to some of that wind blown out of Wrigley. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really crazy when you see games, when that place in the wind blows out you'll see pop-ups just sail out. It's crazy. I, I have a feeling that my, Michael Taylor's grand slam in the playoffs felt a bit like that. It didn't feel like it had enough, and then all of a sudden it's just nestling in that, uh, that netting. Yeah, it landed right in that basket. Uh, so second up on Saturday, we've got Tanner Ark facing off against John Lester at 4.05 p.m. Eastern. Tanner Ark, 6-12 with a 4-2-1 ERA. John Lester, 12-4 with a 3-4-4 ERA. And I think you touched on it before. In, in his last eight starts, he's not been that great. 6-4-2 ERA, nine home runs, and the walks are way up with 20 walks compared to 30 strikeouts. Yeah, he has really struggled since being an NL All-Star because the first few months, John Lester was going deep into ball games. He was efficient. He was looking like John Lester. Now, Some of the peripherals weren't all that great. There were times when he was a little more lucky than good, but still, he was pitching good. You have to be good to some extent to have an ERA in the low twos. So he was due for a bit of a slump, I feel like, and I think he will work his way out of it, though I could see things going a little rough in this coming start for Lester. Um, I think that if he works things out, we'll see that about mid-August, so maybe another start or two. Yeah, I think when the Nats have seen Leicester, he's always seemed to be on. It's either been in the postseason where he obviously excels or, I don't know, we've just caught him on a good day during the regular season, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, in the postseason when John Lester's on the mound, you almost feel as good as anybody. Yeah. Uh, and kind of with two pitches going the opposite way, uh, Tanner Oak obviously had a rough May, June, and July, but in his last three starts, he's 3-0, and 22 innings, 14 hits, one walk, 20 strikeouts, and that all adds up to a 0.82 ERA. So I think if I was going to predict this one, I might go for the, the Nationals to sneak it. But again, you can never rule out John Lester figuring it out. 
Yeah, I would go with the hot hand as well. I think John Lester may have one or two more rough patches before he figures it out, like I said. And, you know, maybe he does end up pitching well against the Nationals. I'm a huge John Lester fan. It's always hard to rule him out. But, yeah, I mean, Tanner Roark being as good as he is, I'll just go with the hot hand here. Yeah, I don't think anyone can blame you for that. Uh, and then on Sunday, on Sunday Night Baseball at 8.05 p.m. Eastern, we've got Max Scherzer facing off against Cole Hamels, obviously. Resurgent Cole Hamels, 7-9 and nine with a 4-3-8 ERA. Max Scherzer, 15-5 and five with a 2-2-8 ERA. And are you going to use the cliche, well, I, I like our guy, but I can't back against Max Scherzer? Well, of course. I think that this is probably, like I said, this is the game I'm looking forward to the most. And I think that in terms of who's been pitching best for the Cubs lately, just based on who we have on the mound, it would be, quote-unquote, their best chance because Hamels has looked good in a Cubs uniform so far, while Lester has struggled lately and Hendricks has been kind of up and down. But he's also facing Max Scherzer, so I think you may see more of a pitcher's duel here. Um, or the wind blows out and they both get shelled. You never know. But I think that this may be the tightest uh, duel of them all right here because, let's face it, Cole Hamill's veteran guy, he still probably knows a lot of those Nationals hitters. Yeah, and you get some of the Nationals power lefty. So you got Eaton, Soto, well, Eaton if he starts, Soto, Harper, Murphy. You've got a lot of lefties there to face off against Hamels, and that change-up probably slightly more effective against righties, do you think? Having probably seen him a little bit more than me recently. Yeah, I mean, against right-handed hitters in Pittsburgh, he was really having them out in front. Like, uh, one of the things with lefty-lefty matchups, yeah, you could say it's harder for a batter to pick up a ball, but sometimes I feel like the way a left-hander throws, it could be a little harder for the lefty to get a strike or a quality strike. You know, it may tail way out of the zone. But again, you know, Cole Hamels has been so good with that over the years. You know, we'll see how that goes, but... On the start that I watched in Pittsburgh, where he had the changeup really working, he was really doing a good job against the righties. Hmm. So obviously facing Max Scherzer leads the NL in war currently, potential MVP candidate. But uh, we're sick and tired of asking people, "Oh, how how do you feel about Max Scherzer?" So I'm going to ask you: Are you scared of his 308 batting average? Is he going to get a hit? You know, the way that Cubs pitchers have done this year, they have given up a lot of hits and walks to pitchers. So I think he'll have one single at least. That feels like the Max Scherzer way. I think he's, I don't know if he's leading it anymore, but uh, coming into his last start, he was leading the National League with bat in uh, batting average with runners in scoring position, which was just bizarre. And I don't know if that actually helps his MVP case. It might a little bit if you're doing it with the bat as well as hitting, but do you think he has a legitimate case, kind of asking from an outsider's perspective? For most valuable player, that's uh, I think you can't rule it out. I think it'll eventually go to a hitter, but if you're asking Cy Young, I definitely say Cy Young. MVP, I think there's a shot, but I do think it'll go to a position player, even though he's definitely worth being talked about in that discussion. I mean, he's really good all around. Yeah, I think for, for me, he'll still finish top five so you get a lot of the hitters in there and again my vote would go to Arenado we'll see how it actually pans out but Scherzer has been getting a lot of the headlines and you wonder whether some of the voters will get sucked into that yeah and I mean he deserves to get some recognition there in an MVP race I mean when you pitch as good as he does and hey with the bat it it, it helps I think it does you know you kind of do things on both sides of the ball 
it, it definitely deserves some discussion there. Mm. So how do you predict this one going? <sighs> I think that if the Cubs do win this game, it would be in the later innings when both starters are out. I just see a really close game between the starters for the first six, seven innings. And then after that, it's going to be pretty much a coin flip. Um, I think the Cubs right now, they're not playing that great baseball. I mean, they're really not considering the all-star break. They've gone four and three against the Royals and Padres, which isn't terrible, but it's not exactly ideal. And they just haven't really played that aspiring baseball. But I think that this is their time to kind of pick things up because that's what they tend to do. So I think they have a solid chance to win this one late. But I think that this series is going to be a very tight one overall. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think... um, I think the second game is probably weirdly, arguably the most lopsided, but we talked about you can't rule John Lester out. I think if... If I was ever going to pick a Max Scherzer start to lose, it would be this one. Um, and kind of with the Cubs following the the prototype of the Braves when they beat him on the second half of the doubleheader, they kept it at 1-1 and then broke out late against the bullpen. But I don't know. I think the the Nats fan in me just physically can't pull against Max Scherzer in this one. Well, I if I was a Nats fan, I wouldn't either. I mean, it's almost like every time you see Max Scherzer pitch, you're pretty much banking on a win. Yeah, you, as a Nats fan, you you start to think no hitter from the second inning on, basically. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how I felt watching Jake Arrieta in 2015. It felt like every time he took the mound, you had a chance to see history, and you definitely had a chance to see a win. Oh, yeah. Jake Arrieta was phenomenal in that. It wasn't quite a season stretch, but it was about a 12-month stretch spanning like half, half of uh, one season and half another. Yeah, I mean, the second half of 2015... I don't think we'll ever see quite domination like that again. I mean, that is a once in a blue moon thing. I mean, a, an 072 ERA, like sub 200 batting averages against and the strikeout numbers. I mean, that was unreal. Mm. So that pretty much wraps up our Cubs preview. I want to say thanks to Alex for joining me. And where can our listeners find you and your work? Uh, you could find me on Twitter at ShyFanPat1. I post all my writings from Cubby's Crib, Fan Sided, uh, the podcast work I do with them. I also work for Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago, do freelance writing for Blasting News, and a few other writing outlets. So be sure to check those out if you see my Twitter account. Perfect. Thanks for coming on, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. So I want to say thanks again to Alex for joining me today. He was uh, a great guest and I look forward to the series in Chicago. I am trying to mention it way too much that I'm actually going to this series because I'm very, very excited about it. Remember to check out some of our content this week. Tom weighed up some of the pros and cons of uh, looking at Davey Martinez's future and whether he should actually be fired potentially mid-season. It's an interesting one. There's no doubt it's been a a disappointing season. So uh, the front office do seriously have to consider that. And then I took a look at whether the Nationals should let Mark Reynolds go after his fall from grace, obviously. Hit 400-odd in his first uh, first few games, but then since then has been such a bit pop player, and he's only had uh, three starts since the All-Star rate all come in when Rendon was uh, on the paternity list. And he's not really been getting the pinch-hitting pinch opportunities because they've usually gone to Ryan Zimmerman, Matt Adams, 
uh, Michael Taylor on the bench or Adam Eaton, depending on which one of those is in. So maybe not um, not get they could use that bench spot for potentially another bullpen on with the rotation struggling. Remember to follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and Stitcher, where you can get all our episodes automatically downloaded, ready for you to listen to. There's no podcast this weekend, obviously. Uh, I get another chance to mention that I'm heading to Chicago for the weekend series, so uh, on Sunday night and Monday, I won't be available. Uh, so we'll be back next week with you uh, after the National Series with the Cardinals. As we look ahead to the Nats' next series against the Marlins, these are going to come thick and fast, given how uh, little they played them early on. So hopefully it's, that's a series to gain some ground in the NOE. So we'll see you then. <laughs>